Hi, this is Andy Brewer with the Northwest Area Health Education Center's Healthcare Insights Podcast. Today I have Grace Kanoy and Carrie Kanoy of GeoCore Creative. Um, they're all coming all the way from Thomasville, North Carolina, in Davidson County. Um, I would describe them as uh, community heroes because of all the activity they're doing to build social capital and create economic development in Davidson County. Welcome, Carrie and Grace. Hey, thanks, Andy. Thanks for having us. <laughs> hey, Andy, um, thanks for having us. Oh, you, you're welcome. I'm glad y'all could come. Um, I will, full disclosure, they are longtime friends of mine, and uh, I'm just glad to have y'all here to talk about all the exciting things you're doing in Davidson County. Uh, I'll start with, uh, you know, you, y'all started out with uh, core expeditions, doing guided trips to Ecuador, and um, partnering up with someone I've had on the podcast earlier, Amy, um, who you know went to Madagascar and some other places. So y'all were doing filmmaking, and and when we before we started recording, you talked about how you were seeing how things were being done in other communities, and you y'all saw the need to bring that or felt the need to bring that to your local community so putting putting action where you live and and um so that that is really what we want to talk about today how you know start off with all the things you're doing now and how that started and 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 all the reasons why you got going Okay. Um, I guess a good part of it was uh, when I w- we were we had an adventure travel company, and we were going to Ecuador, and basically we did unique travel experiences. Uh, really wanted to do something good for our world. Uh, the whole idea of building, you know, building trails instead of tearing down all the trees, and uh, you know, using that as an economic development for the countries that you were going to, and have an intelligent experience. So we started taking nonprofits. We ended up at one point taking nonprofits, working with nonprofits, doing educational programs in Ecuador. Uh, we would do trustee programs as well. And what we saw was a lot of things in these developing countries in Ecuador that women's groups were working on, local groups were working on. And then when I came back home to North Carolina, I, w- I noticed in the States these problems were going on as well here. And uh, we were no, no more... Uh, exempt from these than people in the developing countries that we things for example like our food system we didn't control our food system and it was uh i think we're at a point where we need to take these things back so just seeing and these were really a lot of the nonprofits we worked with in ecuador were very effective with a low low budget so i think we really liked watching their programs and seeing something done efficiently and decided to start applying some of the things we learned back in the states that's resourcefulness, not resources. I love that. So, uh, Grace, <laughs> definitely, <wanna> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right now, you're you're involved with um, grassroots uh, efforts in Davidson County for the local food network and the Roadies and Dirties Trail development. Um, let's let's get going on the local food though, and just kind of <coughs> give a background, Grace, on how how that started and and what you saw when you when you started out. What were the challenges and, and where it is now? So when Carrie and I first decided, you know what, we're going to have to get involved in our community rather than be bystanders. And one of the areas, it just so happened at the time there was a webinar on food councils that um, the Davidson County Health Department was hosting. And so we attended that. And from that experience, we realized, you know, something like a food council would be very useful in our county. But Instead of having solutions, we really, what we realized is we had to 
figure out what we really need and what the priorities were. So it wasn't really about about us thinking we had solutions. It was an opportunity to learn about our county from a different perspective. And that focus was food. And so our county is really no different than Davy or Owen or Rockingham or Randolph. It's very similar in our the agricultural heritage, as well as, you know, the dependence on tobacco and textile and furniture and that change of industry, how that affected the counties. And part of that, of course, is food security. Um, and through our involvement in our research, we realized there are a lot of nonprofits already working on that. Another element um, was the farming component. And we have an aging population. So for example, in the Thomasville Farmer's Market, I would say the vendors are all over 65 with the heart of the farmer's market. I would say they were about 80 years old. So that definitively told us, hmm, we need to look at the future of farming in this county and can new farmers enter this occupation. And on the Lexington side, it's a very different market um, than the Thomasville. They had a little bit more of diverse farms in terms of um, product and age. So we looked at that and thought, okay, what can we do? And one of the weak areas was they brought the product, but they didn't know how to broadcast that they were actually there. And we were surprised at how many people didn't know that the county had two farmer's markets available to um, consumers. So in any case, the beginning of the Food Council is really about asking questions. What do we really need? What resources do we actually have? And who can help us. And so the health department was a huge um, supporter and the cooperative extension was a huge supporter. And surprisingly, the small business center at DCCC, they were huge supporters. And so from that, we realized our strengths were in economic development and promoting a local food and farming in that manner. Mm -hmm. I think a, a key thing that happened before that, before we started the local food council or the local food network was that when we decided to get involved, we didn't really know where to get involved. And we had an opportunity. At one point, we joined the Chamber of Commerce. They were looking for different um, diverse types of businesses. And ours is very different in our town. So we joined that. But we joined several different boards, um, including tourism um, in the area, um, a local school board. And, yeah, just trying to figure out what was out there. And I think to create allies. And I think it was a really good way for us to get educated in the landscape of a place that I was from but really didn't know that much about. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really helped us when we did start digging into our own, um, starting our own groups, that we had some allies that really had seen we've done positive work. Well, I think that's so important that a lot of people want to jump in and start making a difference right away because they think they, they've seen a model that worked somewhere and they want to just jump in and get started and, and get frustrated that not everyone's on board right away. I've seen that happen in, in different places. So the, what you said about learning about the community was so important and, and you had grown up in Thomasville or just outside. Yeah, I gave up on the town long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you traveled the world in, in some remote places, and you saw that you came back, and we're no different than, you know, a plate is a plate, and what, what's on the plate is what matters and how it got there. And, and you see that, um, you know, the distribution problem, the promotional problem, the just knowing about your community is so important. And I think people don't 
start there. And that's a great place for people to start is learn about where you are. Yeah. And I'd, I'd flown away from that place, um, guided, lived in some of the most wonderful places in the world. And uh, yeah, coming back there, I didn't really want to be there. So it was really, uh, at one point it was sort of, a, okay, we're going to either stop bitching about this and move or do something about it. So our first option was to do something about it. That's great. Yeah. Something you want to add to that? <laughs> well, tell me, you came from, I mean, you're not from Thomasville. No, I'm from Toronto, and then I moved to Vancouver. So, um, but ironically, it's me who wanted to stay. And because um, I saw a lot of value in living in a rural setting, and um, I really, really appreciate being out there. For me, as long as I have access to the city, I'm good. I don't, when I was traveling, I was in places with no electricity and I really liked it with no electricity, nothing. As long as there's running water, we're good. Um, but um, so I saw value in a way I think Carrie did not just because um, sometimes when you're from there and you're young and there really isn't in terms of recreation for young people, it was it is sorely lacking that way. But when you're older, it's your priorities are different. So, you know, got to understand. I'm about the donut hole. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Karen and I were asked to come to this meeting um, at Davis County Community College um, looking at sort of the strategic planning for the college. And they had hired a consultant, and he had described – Davidson County as the donut hole of fun. It was fun all around and nothing in the middle. And Davidson County was the middle. And that really, in a nutshell, described the county. Mm -hmm. And this has been like over five years ago. But since then... Close to 10. Close to 10. So since then, a lot has happened for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, local food for sure. I can see, like, for example, recently I was... Really excited that um, there's a Japanese fast food restaurant, um, Shoto's, and they had texted me because they've been involved in some of our food um, pop-up events for local food. It's a Japanese steakhouse. <laughs> Sorry. And they... How dare you call it fast food? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quick, but... Um, and they have not really used in their standard menu, sort of local, but they were interested. And... <laughs> and had been involved in some of our local food food events. Um, the chef there, he made ramen noodles using Carolina grown flour at one of our events. And so we talked about trying to get access to local meat. And I get this text and say, hey, you know, do you know where I can get pork in the area? And I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> crossings. You got to go to crossings. They're the, they're the ones to go to. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, on Monday, they had their first ramen night, mm -hmm. um, pork ramen, and they, it sold out. Mm -hmm. People want local and people want something unique mm -hmm. in, even Davidson County. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's so, you, you just identified, such a huge thing is that just knowing how to connect, connect the resources that are already there. I mean, we 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 talk about uh, food insecurity. I mean, here in Forsyth County, there's some food deserts we call, them, and and it's just like it's not a, a an issue of quantity. It's not an, an issue of lack. It's an issue of distribution and connecting those resources and getting those connected. And I think that when people put that energy in and 
like you like we said earlier, learn about your community. Where are the resources so that those who are resourceful can connect those things? Right. Well, one of the things, it's not just resources. Sometimes um, there's a lack of understanding to the challenges to get those resources, and it's not what you think all the time. Yeah, and I think out, you know, in a rural area, you know, much like us, we had been away and we're back. Um, I think one of the big things with Davidson County, we used to work on one, um, with the Chamber of Commerce's magazine, and what I noticed was there was a lot of, there were a lot of really interesting things going on and starting to go on in the area, but nobody knew knew about them. And mm-hmm. so, so what we saw in the beginning of both for our company and for these organizations is that people didn't know what was going on. They were just like, "Oh, this place sucks." And that, if you're seeing that message outside. Then, you know, and so really the like-minded people that are getting things done, doing things, making things happen, you know, trying to get those people together. And that's part of the network weaving. I think we've, Mm -hmm. we realized that we were good communicators. We didn't have these other talents maybe, but we were good network weavers. And that's really been like one of the huge successes. And that's why we chose a local food network Mm -hmm. because there's no real, that much infrastructure, but we have, it's more about networking and uh, doing things as a group. Well, I think the skills that y'all brought, I mean, your, your, your knowledge of the outside world um, combined with your ability to create content and communicate. I mean, I know mar- you have a marketing kind of filmmaking background and y'all were doing documentary and, and, and promotional films for that. So you dove in with the skills that you had, but you also had the knowledge. I mean, Carrie, you had the knowledge of you know, Davidson County as a place to hunt and grow food. I mean, you grew up on a farm. And then y'all put that into practice in your own yard of developing a permaculture and then a co-op and all that stuff. So you had both the knowledge of how to get things promoted and the hands-on, you know, feet in the soil, hands in the soil kind of uh, mindset and experience to and the passion behind that that it takes to to want to grow that, not just from your own uh, benefit, but for the the community, the health of the community. I think one of the things um, when people want to get involved is, I think you need to be patient, and um, but most of it it's about listening, because you when you start doing that you realize oh you already did that, and that the main issue was nobody knew about it, mm-hmm. and so um, there were silos of work and resources. So in the end, you're, um, you're right. I mean, we leveraged our ability to communicate and uh, facilitate things. And I think that's where our success came from. And I, I think we came from a past in, in Davidson County, both Lexington and Thomasville. Their relationship together and the relationships in town was there was this adversarial information relationship or, or you know, the, people didn't want to people wanted their name on it or it has to be my way. And so, I mean, that's one thing that we're trying to, to get around is, is mm-hmm. or, or, hey, why can't we both win? Or how don't, why don't I come help you with this? Yeah. Well, then, I mean, I think is a natural tendency is to create silos. And what you guys are doing is connecting those and showing how those shared resources benefit everyone and everyone gets that multiplier because of that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of, Oh, so, you know, so it's funny that, um, so we started this magazine called Davidson County Magazine, and we had decided, you know, we're going to commit to this for three years. And it was a way of rebranding since we were, this is the one part where we were inpatient because no one was doing it. And, um, they were 
promoting the same things, the chair in Thomasville, the barbecue in Lexington. And I'm like, you know, there's more to this county than just chairs and barbecue. Um, I really wish somebody would show all these other things. And then it ended up being us. And so for three years, we did the Davidson County Magazine. And we showcased a lot of farms, um, arts and artisans, a little bit about the history. I think that's helpful for people to understand why we got where we are. And then um, in the end, we were, oh, and food, of course, like um, introducing ideas such as foraging or you know, that we have these resources and maybe you didn't notice it before. And mm-hmm. that was the kind of, kind of showing what might be ordinary as extraordinary. Because when you live at a place and you see things every day, it becomes sort of yeah, mundane. You just right? take it for granted. Yeah. 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 And we, we would do thematic issues like bikes, beef, and brew. Mm-hmm. Like nobody knew there were, well, there were hops being grown in the county. Nobody knew there was actually a small brewery, but it was just a recreational brewery. It wasn't an actual business. And they ended up going to the next county because of the the tax law or the uh, alcohol laws. But but we we did get to highlight a lot of these different little things. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people came actually to that area because of it. Well, you guys, you know, we're all Gen X sitting here, and and <laughs> and how we, you know, I mean, you guys started this what ten years ago, or this your your main efforts? Eight, I think about. Eight years? Gosh, we might as well just say ten. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess where I'm going with this is that um, you know we get to a place in our lives where we see that we want to do more for our communities. And I think that once you get the pioneers, I mean, I consider you guys would be pioneers in this, and that the energy starts to grow, and it grows organically as word gets out. Have you seen a growth in other uh, cohorts of our age and then younger, especially the younger generations, coming back to the ethos of food as local and business economic development as local and not looking, you know, I guess over the years or in the past, we've had you know younger generations say, I'm leaving the farm, I'm going to the city. And now we're, I think we're getting a, a resurgence of people coming back to and and really valuing um, local and getting back to the soil, if you will. I think that's a little bit um, <laughs> positive outlook that you have presented. Um, so let me. So when we look at Thomasville's demographics, say there's a sparkle. Of- <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. Yeah. If you've listened to any of my episodes, you know I'm always pointing out the good news. So the in Tom. Okay, so when we were on tours and board, we were looking at demographics, and it was interesting. There was a rise in population. I think it was 35 and over in Thomasville, and a pretty good be- under 18. Okay, there's a rise in that population, but between 18 and 35, there was a decrease. And so that indicated these people were leaving. But we, but we also noticed that there were quite a few people coming back, Gen Xers. And they're coming back because they're taking care of their aging parents. Mm-hmm. But they're coming back from places that had certain amenities. And so there's a demand now for those same amenities, whether it's local food, diversity of restaurants, recreation, mm-hmm. that they want in their hometown, home, excuse me, home county. And I think that demand has helped us in as we promote the county resources. Mm-hmm. But I will say, both in the food network and the bike, I, w- I would say that group of people are the ones that are, are populating. We are having yeah. we're having uh, 
I think everybody's having difficult issues trying to reach the younger generations, whether you market, yeah, how you market mm-hmm. to them, how you get them involved. And I think that's been a big question. But yeah, so I mean, I, I guess in a sense, the people that are stepping up to the plate with us, you know, that we've seen in our groups are, are Gen X. And they're still, I mean, it's the thing. It's like, yeah, first you have to create, like, nobody's going to be that first person. Every first time you do something, is is just like uh, stressful and yeah. crazy, well, but yeah. then it, but then once you create these conduits and people start seeing like we've created the farmers market, we've made those more reinforced and more of a social event, mm-hmm. and so it's growing. So all these things just growing that social side, but also growing the the conduits for it to happen. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people don't want to swim against the current. Well, you have social, environmental, and economic, and those three have to coexist because um, you can have economic. De- growth and development that only benefits one population and the other suffer. And you can have environmental damage because of unbridled <coughs> growth. And then you have the tearing of the social fabric. And it seems like when you take those three and you, you, you couple or you bring them back together, then you, you, you have healthy, healthier communities and you, and your the social fabric. Because I know Davidson County is kind of a, an interesting place because it has a large, uh, Hispanic population and growing and, and Catholicism is, is something that you wouldn't have thought of seeing there, you know, when, when, when we were born, I guess. I mean, you know, so you have the diversity that's growing. Um, with that becomes a need for, you know, uh, understanding cultural differences. But, but those, those three things, the social, the economic, and the environmental, which includes food and recreation and, and all that, um, that's, that's, has to be the focus of growth. And I think you guys have incorporated a lot of that in those, in, in that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I, I think we've tried to subterfuge um, some of the like general thinking and things just by the manner of uh, bringing things like kayaking or you know, river routes or, or, or bike trails or, or local foods and making people understand why, why you buy from a local farmer or business. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of how we've tried to subterfuge some of the thinking. Mm-hmm. Davidson County is interesting because, so when I look at Forsyth or Guilford, it was, it's predominantly urban counties, mm. but ours is a mix. So both Lexington and Thomasville are definitely urban and they have urban inner city issues. And then you have the rest of Davidson County. If you go South Davidson, it's quite rural. So it makes for an interesting dichotomy in, in what we're dealing with. So I would say we have actually quite a vibrant Hispanic community because we, and so one of the things we featured was the 11 acre flea market. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And it's an amazing market. And when we have our friends who we had met during our travels come visit, we always take them there because it's sort of stepping out into a whole international bazaar there. And, and we get a lot of food there as well that's not grown in Davidson County. But it was surprising because there's a whole Southeast Asian component mm-hmm. in there, mm-hmm. uh, surrounded by a Latino component. Mm-hmm. And those women, mostly women there, grow, are growing this food that's, uh, more Southeast Asian culturally. So we get our lemongrass, we get our, Culantro, cilantro. We even bought Asian persimmons from these ladies and they're growing them. So mm-hmm. there's that interesting component that's sort of 
popular among, I guess, the ethnic communities, the immigrant communities, but the greater community did not know about it. So we definitely did promote that. Mm -hmm. From an access standpoint, so we talk about access, access to food, but that could be also said to access to outdoor recreation. So um, one of the things, so every year the health departments in each county does a report, and Davidson County scored an F in obesity. Mm-hmm. And that is for many things, whether it's healthy food, but it's also exercise. And so one of the things that we're lacking and we feel is connected to food and health in general is access to places to go outside or to exercise. So another component of um, improving the county is trails. So a few years ago, Carrie and a friend of his, Brad, started the Roadies and Dirties of Davidson County. And that was a roadies stand, uh, representing the cycling, the road cyclists, and the dirties were the mountain bikers. And what they realize is, man, it would be really nice not to leave Davidson County to go bike riding. And so they decided to form this club, and then they ended up, um, I guess, renovating or giving new life to these uh, trails at Finch Park. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna let you talk about yeah. that. So basically, we yeah we were like, why is everybody leaving? We have a we have a really there are a lot of mountain bikers in and from Davidson County, and they're all going other places. And at one point, we did an issue in our magazine about the backyard bikes of Davidson County and the backyard trails, and basically all these pump tracks and jump tracks and trails that people build because there were no public access trails. And so we got together. And we ended up renovating. Basically, we were looking for low-hanging fruit. First of all, you know, when you start something like this, nobody, you know, wants to know you. Or, you know, when you go to the mayor, who are you? And, you know, why do I need to speak to you? And, and you know, it's that long-term thing you were talking about. You know, a lot of times, if you just have an idea, and a lot of people will just be like uh, dropping the pan, they'll be there, they get tired, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. And that is the same way if they initiate it, and then they sort of half do it. And then they leave. Mm-hmm. So I understand that people were weary of this sort of thing. And also they've been working on stuff. So our thing was to look at where were some things started. There had been a greenway plan for 20 years. Nothing, absolutely nothing had been initiated. Bike uh, bike plan done by uh, Piedmont Tried Regional Council. Nothing had done with that. So we really were just trying to look at the goals that they had. Join with the health department and use that sort of language as well, as well as economic development. And we found an old trail at Finch Park. Lexington Parks and Rec, we managed to talk into letting us start to renovate those trails. And now we've kind of built a trail building machine of the roadies and dirties of Davidson mm-hmm. County. And we're really looking at, uh, from what is initial, we opened a mile of trail, mile and a half of trail last year, about a year ago. Now we have three and a half miles of trail there. And we're starting to bring people in from Ashborough, Charlotte, Winston-Salem. Um, it's kind of got the buzz right now. Mm-hmm. And so we've got permission to do at least 14 more miles of trail um, adjacent to that and in another watershed area. So really the watershed is opening up. We're looking at 30 miles of trail in the next, uh, you know, maybe the ne- potential 30 miles plus of trail in the next 10 years. Yeah, that's great. I mean, recreation opportunities are so important, especially, you know, with the urban areas. I mean, one of the social determinants of health is not having access to safe areas to do things like, exercise or just get outside and you know how important it is to unplug from the electronic world and to get out into the natural world and that kind of is that reset that's so important for mental health and we've been talking about 
nutrition and exercise, but mental health is just this huge uh, problem in, in, in our society. And I think the more, you know, you're talking about adding how many more miles of trails? I mean, up to 30 plus. I mean, we've got, you know, five already. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, that's just huge to be able to have that public uh, tr- well, that public resource to, to go out and, and enjoy. And you know what we've seen? Well, the really cool part is, and I mean, the beneficiaries, we're seeing all ages, but we're re- and we have, a, we started a high school, uh, middle and high school mountain bike team because we decided, you know, basically it's like anything if you're going to start it, if you're going to continue it and you're going to sustain it, you need to start educating it early. And so certain elementary school, if you can get that curriculum in schools. So we're trying to work with parks and recs, doing bike rodeos, things like that. But also this mountain bike team helps, you know, and if you want to make a trail sustainable, you need people to ride it all the time. So in the early times, we had these kids that were riding out there. But what we've seen more than anything is we've seen guys and women your age and my age, you know, around their 50s, let's say. And uh, they're getting out there. They've lived in Lexington for years. They haven't biked in years. They used to bike all the time. You know, it's been 20 years. And now they're buying mountain bikes again. They're losing 15, 20 pounds. They're starting to race. They're bringing their whole families out because we have the high school mountain bike team. We have mom, dad, and kid. And uh, and because we we built the trail in a way that we – the very first thing we did was beginner trail. That was what our big effort was, was to build a beginner trail, to build a beginner loop so they could learn and also to work towards those community funds that are all important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did it. We had that an intermediate and an advanced. And even our advanced is sort of open to interpretation for a wide variety of riders. So mm-hmm. what it did is just allows people to grow and the community grow. And we've got, it's amazing. Like last night, there were 30 plus riders out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're seeing like mother, son, daughter, father. And it's not just bikes, too, you were saying. Oh, no. I'm seeing one wheels out there. Like, this is a cool part. We built a really good trail. We worked really hard at doing the right trail that really expanded that medium for everybody. And uh, because before it was convoluted trails, you get lost on, they were impossible. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're getting hikers, we're getting bikers, you know, a lot of first timers. It's really neat to see the general population and they're not just like badass bikers mm-hmm. you know in their skins that they're wearing there are people out there in jeans that have bikes that aren't so great mm-hmm. you know and they're smiling and having fun too so it's just uh it's really and it's only been a year mm-hmm. so it's really fascinating yeah sometimes you say and when you're doing these sort of things you're like if you build it they'll come mm-hmm. but we've learned that that's not the case necessarily yeah. that sometimes when you build it if you don't plan it or maybe you're just yeah. building something that they don't want they're not going to come. But in this case, it's been uh, really cool to see. It's really like they say it is. Yeah. Just want to, the beginner component is really important. <coughs> so it just so happens that beginner loop is right next to the playground. There's an entryway. And so we have found that uh, families with really young children are walking that beginner loop and the kids. And in the beginner loop, they have got little dips and things. So the kids find it fun. And then they see the cyclists go around. So it starts to open their eyes to other forms. And definitely you can see the influence as you see, you know, little girls on the playground going, oh, look at those people ride their bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that's... Surrounded by a poor neighborhood. Yeah. And it's and this Finch Park is not in a well-to-do neighborhood. It's a little lower income, middle class. So it shows 
I, there's a lot of access. And then also the, the, the diversity of the population now using is, was surprising. So really young families, African American families, Hispanic families. So for us, that's a success. Like, wow, then this is truly access. Like mm-hmm. everybody gets to use it. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that is important because you want to be inclusive when you do these developments. And I know a lot of the Greenway development here in Winston-Salem has has been connecting the northwest to the western part, which is generally more middle to upper, you know, more affluent communities. And, and you know, there's always this talk about zip code bias and things. But, with you know, we're making inroads at places like Quarry Park and connecting those those areas too. So it's encouraging to hear that the recreation aspect to recreate that community in areas that haven't been served very well. And, you know, health statistics will show that those populations are more uh, susceptible or, or percentage-wise suffer more from the obesity, you know, lack of healthy foods, lack of safe recreation areas. So that's, that's real encouraging. Now I wanted to um, ask about uh, resources, you know, you're resourceful, but um, the public part, public private cooperation that you've Mm. gotten, uh, you've seen fostered. I mean, talk about how was there resistance to that? And and now that it's going, is there, is it, you know, are people stepping up to the plate? Um, You guys, you talk about the food, not so. About it. Uh, when it comes to the food, like once you start <laughs> investigating and once you start meeting the various, um, for example, the health department, they were huge supporters at the beginning. So they actually uh, financed through a, a community grant the walking trail at Tomalex, which is our watershed area. But they were also um, they funded our billboards, and for so we use that. So I. Go ahead. So, so they have certain pockets of money that are designated for certain things like health. There's, you know, and they're always working with different kind of grants in the health department. So they found. So yeah. So we sort of accidentally by getting involved, you kind of start seeing where the income flows are and who has these resources and health department was one of them. Mm-hmm. And through them, we were able. And then you start asking questions. I'm like, well, how much money do you have, and where do you need to spend this? And so basically, by asking you. When you figure out what they have to support or satisfy in their grant requirements, then you can pitch them and like, hey, can I use that money mm-hmm. to do billboards promoting our farmer's market since nobody seems to know we have farmer's market? So for like four years, we were able to do summer billboards promoting the farmer's market. That's one thing that they did. The uh, walking trail was another thing that they helped um, uh, promote. And through that, I think that helped Roadies and Dirties when they get started. Because they came out and volunteered for that walking trail, it built social capital and credibility. Yeah, the walking trail was all, but basically they paid for, you know, it's one of those grants that pays for planning and design, but it plans no execution. And in our county, they love those because... They do the first part because they're being adventurous and trying things. And then they say, oh, we don't have any money to do the rest. So it's a lot of wasted money in in planning or just design and presentations, you know, from these organizations. And so, yeah, we just managed to revive that. We went to the health department. We found out this trail was was on, but it was been dug on by a handful of volunteers that really didn't know anything about it, trail digging. And that's what that was like the first project for our group. 
And what we were able to do, they didn't make it a biking trail, but we were able to gain a lot of credit and as well with the health department because we got that trail done. Yeah. So uh, so that that trust you built by just coming in and lending the volunteerism and showing that, hey, the energy's here. Now we need backing and we can grow this volunteer network. So that's how we got Finch Park as well. I mean, eventually that that one relationship led directly to the other. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, part of it is building relationships and those relationships help you find those financial resources, Mm -hmm. which is always the problem, Mm -hmm. right? Like you you can add a lot of human power, but eventually you're going to need some financial strength there. We we became part of this regional group um, and local and regional group, the Community Food Strategies Group. And you might want to tell them a little bit about that. The grant's been very instrumental. So Community Food Strategies is a nonprofit that works with also the Piedmont Tribe Regional Council. And they are there to help cultivate these food councils. And not only have they, they've been really great in guiding us and first of all, how to be leaders, community leaders, because that's a skill set that's not natural, I don't think. Some people are born leaders, but... To be a community leader, I think, is distinct because you have lots of people that you have to work with. And so they have been great in guiding us and helping us learn how to be community leaders. In addition, they have been very good in offering micro-grants and um, making it easier for us to apply and learning how to apply for these grants. Mm-hmm. So um, we're not really a nonprofit, but um, we pitched our local tours and recreation investment partnership to be our fiscal sponsor. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the burden of having to run since we're all volunteers. So we run the grant through that fiscal sponsor. Mm -hmm. And that has been huge. That's been huge for Roadies and Dirties, who are not a nonprofit, but through the umbrella sponsorship of this organization, we have been able to sort of, um, because we support their mission, Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's allowed us to apply for small grants Mm -hmm. and even just a small grant helps a lot. So we're covered by their insurance, which is very like both for roadies and dirties and for the Davis and Galley local food network. So that's a big amenity. That's hard to get money for yeah, from the community. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you don't think about those legal Those logistics of- that you need, like for the farm tours. So because we're under the umbrella, they have event insurance. And one of the things for the farmers is they want to make sure that they're covered should there be an incident. Right. And right. so those are very pragmatic things that I think people forget. Yeah. Um, when you are when you start doing outreach. And they can be showstoppers. Right. Yeah. They can you don't want to make a mistake. But in the end you have have these resources like the North Carolina Agritourism Board, they have a checklist on how to run these farm tours and also checklists for farms and when they invite visitors, what they should be doing. So there are existing resources. You just actually have to do look for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I started the Roadies and Dirties, that's what I did is I Googled how to start a bike club. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple of beers leads to a Google search and here we are. But uh, yeah, and I mean, I think that's, but I also through that and the process is going to conferences and yeah, went all in with that. The Go to the people that know what they're doing, the people that are raising funds in other areas. In the beginning, you're like, nobody's giving me money. We, I deserve money. I want money. You know, but you have to earn it. But what we did, you know, we slowly in the roadies and dirties, I think um, that was the hardest part. We really need just to dig to have a group like that. You need insurance. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. The Parks and Rec, nobody will work with you. And so that was the hardest part is getting insurance. So yeah. actually an insurance company um, and, a, and a digital company were the first two to kind of ante up. 
And then after that, we had uh, like a local lumber company that's donating the bridge materials. Um, we've had various different companies organizing. Most recently, now that we have the city involved, you know, that, it's like they say, success begets success and success is attractive and, mm-hmm. and, and people flock to it. And as soon as we did this trail, as soon as we've built this up to this year, now we have the city offering us land, but we have another gentleman, Mark Breeden, in Lexington offering us. Basically, he's giving us $75,000. So that's like a great ante for us. Shout out to, to Mark. Shout out to Mark. Breeden. And what's happening, we've already, because of that, we're probably already going to raise another you know, 2500 to $5,000 just because of that. Yeah, he stepped yeah. in the pot, and we're going to want a fundraiser. But, um, yeah, so it's been like small bits, and then uh, you find some larger chunks. I think the the local food network um, organization, local food strategy has been really instrumental and small. I think it's very nice to have uh, organizations that can give you seed grants to help you produce um, mm-hmm. small projects. So I think also people try to do something big first. And I think in the end, you really should start small because you're learning and then you're building credibility. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about credibility a lot. I mean, if they don't believe in your skill sets, if you can't convince your local group, there's no way you're going to have longevity mm-hmm. in your um, approach. So the seed grants, though, helped us, first of all, website. You know, so it pays for the website, right. things like that. And then the event. Farm tour advertising. Yeah. Farm tour advertising. But by, oh, nice. but because I have that, then I can go to another person and say, will you match this? Yeah, so yeah. once you have, once you have a little something, yeah. you can use that to get more. But it also helps you organize your core group too, mm-hmm. because in the beginning it was just Grace and I, and I think we had the health department and other people on board, but for a long time, and maybe still they see it as Grace and Carrie's thing. I think it's starting to, changes to the group thing we got more powerful individuals on board and by powerful i mean a very able people but these grants allowed us to assign things and when mm-hmm. you can start assigning things to people that's when they start getting ownership yeah that's yeah. when you got them and they yeah. can't leave well I, yeah go ahead. well i was just gonna say they're they're you know just to review you know learning about your community so important and, and one of the ways that inspired y'all to do that is is being outside, going traveling across the world, and then wanting to bring something back to grow the roots here in your own community. But also, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about trust a lot um, here in the in the medical center in in our enterprise, and you you know a lot of organizations have probably come and gone. Hey, yeah, we got these great ideas, big ideas come fund us and there's a, a swirl of energy and then it dissipates because it didn't get traction because you didn't do it in a way that built the trust. And that's so easy to destroy that trust just in a second because of the energy just dies out. And it seems like um, you guys are, are showing me the model and sharing the model of how this all grows organically once you get to a certain point by, you know, learning about the community, learning what the resources are, and then being resourceful to connect those. Again, I I bring that up um, because I think (laughs) that's what I'm seeing in my mind's eyes. Y'all talk about how all these things take place. And then once you get this momentum and people go, yeah, yeah, they're making it happen. These groups are making it happen. And we want to be a part of that. And I think uh, one lesson I've learned is like, I think it's important to, well, you start doing these things and you start being, uh, it's all encompassing and you start absorbed by it. And we were doing multiple things in the county, but it was like, uh, 
where is this going to end? Is this sustainable? You know, with the Food Network, we're still kind of looking towards sustainability and trying to figure that out. With the bike group, I think with the whole way that we've structured it, it's worked really well. And I just recently stepped down as president, and I think it was a wonderful move for me. Um, <laughs> but it was great because there was momentum for the new area and the new dig. We had people pushing really hard. And, and uh, yeah, it was a little off my mission, but I was supportive of it. And it was just a great time to let some other people jump in you know, and, and resist that, that hesitance that, unfortunately, I think all the politicians in our county have and cities – in our area is that, oh, well, I need to stay in on yeah, this and I need to, give to, up I need to control yeah. this conversation. And I think, I think giving up a little bit and let, letting new ideas come through as well. I mean, you, you have to have your strategy and yeah, a good through. leader knows when to step down. Yeah. But I think that was like, a, that's a huge step in just letting it be sustainable. I think, okay. So let's, when we talk about sustainability, there is an active recruitment process that Karen and I always do mm-hmm. because you don't want to shoulder that by yourself. It yeah. should not be about you. Mm-hmm. It really does have to be about the community. And so that was one thing we noticed. You know, meetings can't just be meetings. Yeah, meetings can't be meetings. They have to end with action items. That's mm-hmm. something very distinct in yeah. our meetings. You know, we're going to do this mm-hmm. by a certain time because, you know, Everybody needs deadlines to get put the fire under your butt mm-hmm. to get things done. Um, yeah. But we do an active recruitment process. So if we're on the board and we want to step down, we actively look for a replacement mm-hmm. just so that board is sustained in a direction with the energy that's required. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a lot. We what well, we found in the past, and there still are a lot of defunct boards in our county and cities, mm-hmm. including the tourism board. When we got on it, we realized there were only two or three people attending, mm-hmm. uh, making all these decisions for the city. And those people were very disinterested and, and really, quite honestly, out of date. So really what we find is it's important when we step on a board or we step into something, we're also looking at how what our exit strategy is from the beginning, yeah. who are the other people we can bring in that are capable people. Because we feel like, and I wish more people would feel like this, that if I'm on a board, it's my responsibility to find my replacement mm-hmm. and then some. Yeah. Well, I think there's a reluctance of people to want to get involved at the board level because they think that they have to bring a certain skill set. And I think just having a voice, I mean, I've served on boards and I didn't think I was adding value. And then I get feedback saying, oh, we, we you know, we loved having you on the board. You, you brought so much. And I'm like, I didn't really know. I didn't feel that way, but thank you. And, and but it you, you, sometimes you don't know your value until you make the effort to go join that. And I, you know, I guess I'm saying that to encourage anybody to, to, to get involved at some level. Sometimes you need to invite them. So the one thing we learned is some people don't think that they're welcome. Mm-hmm. And so if you want inclusivity, I think you have to ha- make the act, make an invitation. That's, I think, very key because mm-hmm. traditionally some groups may not have been invited. Mm-hmm. And I think to actively invite people sets a really good um, beginning. Mm-hmm. And then also same like, for example – We've been in a few where, you know, they're always blaming the millennials for some reason. They're sort of like the scapegoat. But in our experience, particularly in the local food activism, we have found millennials to be extremely well-informed and very passionate. So it's interesting uh, the different sort of perspectives of social groups that might be used as scapegoats for certain things. But in our experience, we have found younger generations 
far more equipped, I think. And I would wish that people invite them to be on their boards because mm-hmm. they do bring perspective. And mm-hmm. I think they should be given ownership. And I don't often think they are not given any kind of ownership. Just and and perhaps I think they're going to miss out on that passion and to cultivate that passion in a way that you can groom them to be excellent community leaders. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's key. One thing that we were really distinct on is we don't want to be part of your father's board. You know, we don't want to be part of that 80s model board where there's just big money on the top and big business and, and everybody's sucking off the teeth of that big business. And then when it goes away, there's a big empty hole, which is what happened in Thomasville and Lexington. So we're trying to have a more working model. It's like if you, if you want to be on this board, you have to show up. You have to come regularly. You have to either give money, time, get money. Or have some knowledge, and that's me. And that's the other thing is letting people know that their opinion is worth mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, and a lot of people undervalue themselves. I well, think. Well, diversity of ideas is important. Just getting people from different backgrounds just to get different viewpoints on things. I think a couple of things I wanted to say. I mean, the the notion of boards just withering away, dying on the vine because there wasn't. Um, you know, a strategy to recruit or there wasn't a clear mission or, as you said, I mean, in healthcare, we have caregiver burnout and I guess you can have community board burnout. You have the same five people on all the boards ever. Yeah. So, 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 you know, I love that you came at it saying we want to have a clear agenda. We want to have a clear action items, but we also want a clear exit strategy for our own involvement at that level. I mean, you'll continue to be involved in the community, but as an organizer, you constantly want that pipeline of new energy and new, new ideas and new, new blood, new, 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 well, energy into it. You right. know, and, and I mean, in the end, you want people to take ownership of their community. Mm-hmm. And if you don't let them, come join you then you're it's a losing situation it's not going to go anywhere but 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 i i it's yeah i have to say it's really been challenging i mean grace can get on any board she wants to because she's asian and (laughs) and they're dying play the card well people people are desperate for the diversity on their board whether it's just as a token or a real thing and i think what we found in our board like we're really having a hard time thomasville and lexington so Dayton County has three school systems, mm-hmm. and th- and that's for sort of the history of the furniture and that sort of thing. Political, but basically, yeah, there's yeah. two Title One schools, and then there's a big you know rural school area. And uh, the two Title One schools, Lexington and Thomasville, they have it's probably thirty percent African American, thirty percent Latino, and thirty percent white. So, mm-hmm. but what we're finding is it's still it's like Grace said that traditional thing, like Lexington. Black people don't come to downtown Lexington mm-hmm. because they traditionally weren't welcome there. And so we're seeing this slowly change, but it's a slow thing because the stigma is still there. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same thing with boards. People aren't used to stepping up, having their voice heard, especially in the Latino community. Um, we're still finding people like the next generation, I think, is ready to be heard. Mm-hmm. But the older, you're know, just trying to find community leaders um to join our causes, that's that's been interesting and challenging for sure. Well, I mean, I, I, I've known y'all for a long time, and I know that y'all are are very unique or or part of the empowered mindset. And I think what you touched on, Carrie, is that historical stigma or historical, um, you know, 
behaviors and mindsets um, are, and they're, they're, they're dying away, which is good. Um, but I think, <laughs> well, I mean, no, the mindset. Okay. Uh, and I'd add the uh, blue, like the blue collar to that as well. I mean, I think there's yeah. definitely this uh, social class thing where your blue collar people feel awkward on boards and mm-hmm. are a lot of, for you know, the, what I've seen and noticed, you know, mm-hmm. is like not willing to step to that. And that's the people that we need on boards well, as well. And that's what I was getting with, with diversity doesn't mean just identity. It, it means background. It means, uh, you know, socio and economic level. It means, um, a lot of different things than just what we see in the media all the time, just skin color and gender and things like that. But, um, I guess, the word that came to my mind is empowerment and how important that is at the individual level to feel empowered. And I think just being invited to come on a board that says, Hey, we value your opinion and we value your background and we want you to be a part of it because we need different points of view. We need different points of view. I mean, otherwise, for example, you know, how can you build a proper structure if you're not having those points of view, then you your structure is not going to accommodate everyone. So mm-hmm. if you don't actually have um, give your opinion, we don't know. Like how are you I mean, I don't know anyone more like persistent than Carrie. Like he wants to know. Mm-hmm. And 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 because of that, it has been very accommodating, especially the trail in in the formation of being adamant about the beginner trail. Because that's not always the first, I guess um, and we could have done an easy, what they call rake and ride trail. It doesn't last. It's not sustainable. And it's not the best. I felt like we've been so slack in Davidson County for so long that when we do things, and that's sort of our theory, is when we do things, we have to do them as good as they can be done. Mm-hmm. And, and we're trying to instill in people there that we're competing with and, and you know cooperating as well with the rest of the world. But mm-hmm. We need to be on that same level. So we had to do the best. We held out for the best that we could. Well, I think quality matters in community volunteerism and in community social capital building. Because, again, if you don't have quality mindset and energy, then the, those organizations are going to dry up. And, they're yeah, they still exist on paper. And the board meets, you know, once a year just to satisfy demands and accounting and stuff like that. But, the you know... If you don't have that quality mindset, it's going to dry up. And I think that's great to hear that, you know, y'all are building that tenacity uh, and, and and that that energy to, to sustain. I mean, that word sustainability comes up a lot. And, and I think that's so important. And there's so many factors that are rolled up into that that have to be there to to create sustainability. Um when when I think about the government organizations such as the health department or the cooperative extension, sometimes it's just simply about calling them up and say, hey, we're here. I don't know if you knew we were here. And I think sometimes it's not that they want to ignore you. They just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And they're very busy people. I mean, they're they're serving our community. And, and in that sense, I think I think that's why silos happen because you're literally doing your day-to-day job and you're focused on it. And so sometimes just simply introducing yourself is just like opens a huge amount of doors and access to resources that you may not have thought possible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think that prevents people, um, they think, oh, you know, they don't want to talk to me, but you don't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a consistent introduction. So mm-hmm. you have to introduce yourself a All few times time. and and, yeah. and sometimes – Show your worth to them or your, yeah. your, you know, what you're doing so that they can understand, understand and yeah, and accept you. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just anecdotally, 
having driving driven down 109 to go visit my mom you know over the years uh and going through thomasville you know the big chair and but i've seen uh you know just that one main strip uh grow over this time and and you know i've seen like i guess a brewery there and you see coffee i mean like decent coffee and i mean that's that's a sign of some intellectual uh growth and and um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, the coffee house, Mine, that's, anyway. that's where, you know, the ideas are birthed. Yeah, you know? we waited and for the coffee house forever. The crazy, yeah. no, the crazy ideas are at the brewery and then you actually get them <laughs> right. done and defined at the coffee shop, right? Yeah. So those yeah. two are coexist, um, they, for that's sustainability, true. but I've also seen restaurants and I've just yeah. seen growth happen <laughs> over the years driving and, and which gets me to the question of how do you measure the success of the things you're doing. I mean, obviously trail mileage and user is user. I think it has to be based on who is using it. So for me, like the trail is tremendously successful. Every time we ride, there's a new face there and we ride consistently and Mm -hmm. we ride not just to maintain the trail, but we want to look, we're looking at who's riding, who's in the parking lot. Right. Yeah, we're always in the ambassador role with that, like yeah. asking people what they're doing. Well, I and, meant and, more like for grant reporting out, you know, and, oh, and how uh, that's do you... the numbers on the trail. Like for me, the trail numbers, um, everything I do when I, I'm really big on, like I like metrics. I think mm-hmm. it's fun to get metrics. And, and you know, if you want to win a grant, you need metrics. So mm-hmm. uh, I think everything we do, whether it's the farm tour or the, the bike trails, we like to do like we did a bike race there, and and the gentleman allowed me that ran the race to send uh, surveys to all those people. Mm-hmm. So everything that we had our first meeting, roadies and dirties with fifty people showed up. It was off the hook in Davidson County. Um, I sent out surveys for that, mm-hmm. and so a lot of times we're getting the surveys back from them, and that kind of gives us a little bit of insight. Yeah, how far they're traveling, how much. Yeah, we're getting ready to do another tra- uh, one for the bike trail, and it'll be things sort of economic indicators. Mm-hmm. Um, Things like that, like what? How much you did make? You, how you many bikes out? have you purchased this yeah. year? Did, or how many bikes have you? Because I know a lot of people, over ten people that have personally that have bought bikes this year mm-hmm. for that trail. So you have questions like that: How far do you travel? How often do you ride? So we're trying to get some health stats out of that as well. Yeah, that's great. I was going to ask that if if you've um, if the health department has offered any. Uh, <laughs> like you know report out statistics on any kind of health indicators that are improving in the community i know it's early you know 10 years is not i mean they do they they have a health community health report pretty much every year Mm -hmm. and so um we actually one of the things they'll send that survey and we send it out to our network we help promote that survey because without feedback i mean you don't know um they have been good for things like the they had the convenience store, gas station, corner store initiative, and they have um, they've done the report there. So that's something we, as a food network, we're going to put that into our website so people have access. Because I think that's the number one thing the health department has difficulty is uh, is broadcasting their successes or their reports because they stay within their industry mm-hmm. kind of thing. So they're really good at what they do, but they're terrible at getting the message out. Like they'll have a good product, but they're not marketers. Right, right. Tell me about the corner store initiative. That sounds, that sounds So I, there was a government grant and we're not the only ones. Um, so they were trying to add some fresh produce into gas stations. So we're talking about food security and access. Mm-hmm. So food deserts. Food deserts. Well. And so some of the um, challenges for those 
stores is uh, cooler space. You mm-hmm. know, when you do fresh produce, you need cooler space, and that's a cost to that corner store. So the grant helped pay for some of the store cooling storage. Um, also, um, and so as a result, that was number one. Mm-hmm. We'll do that and shelving, right? Mm-hmm. And so that paid for that, and as and they put in fresh produce in those places, and they documented who did what and, mm-hmm. and what did well. And essentially, if the store owner buys into the idea of it, it'll do well. Mm-hmm. But if the store owner is just kind of doing it, mm-hmm. it doesn't really take off in that mm-hmm. manner. So it takes really, investment. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there was one gas station, and the owner used to be a farmer. So he understood that. So his location did very well, mm-hmm. and he increased the number. Um, there was another one, Inner City, and they inc- that cold storage was huge for them. Mm-hmm. They were able to do eggs because, you know, you need them refrigerator. And those are little things that people don't realize mm-hmm. that – that that equipment is a cost to that store owner because it's easier for them to do junk food. You don't need to refrigerate it, right? Yeah, it's built for shelf life, right? And if it's if it is a cooler, it's beer and soda. Mm-hmm. It's not for juice, milk, or eggs or anything else like that. So that yeah. was an interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. So they both had successes and failures, and really it came down to the people, mm-hmm. not so much the well getting over the barrier of the equipment. But then it was about buy-in. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm interested in, you know, I want to see the health department statistics for Davidson County in 10 years from now and just see, you know, yeah, if, re- if yeah. obesity rates have declined, if hypertension is, you know, all the diabetes, all the all the, the big comorbidities or, or more, you know, the... the the affluence uh, that causes us to get fat and slow and lazy. and I don't know if it's affluence. <laughs> I think it's the fact that <laughs> processed food is easier to get, yeah. cheaper to get, pretty well, much. It, it, what I mean by affluence loaded, I know, but affluence meaning we, we're all working, yeah. we're all, we all have conveniences that right. cause grab, us. You can grab quick food, yeah, quick, yeah, that, low that, nutritive value food. Yeah, we're, we're you know, we're not... We're not out wondering, you know, gathering food and preparing food and storing food all day um, like some cultures are. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, most people aren't like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it, it's, it, you know, the, those, the, the food focus, I think, and we're, we're doing some of that with the Brenner Fit Kitchen here, Fit meaning uh, families in training for healthier. Yes. Like okay, nutritional yeah. habits, and we we do the culinary medicine programs, which teaches oh. primary care physicians how to mm-hmm. prepare food and how to prepare menus that offer healthy foods. And also, uh, you know, the family approach is to prevent childhood obesity because you know children don't have a lot of agency over what you know foods they get. And so you know, bringing back the six o'clock meal, you know, the the family sit down. Sit down discussing the day you know even even um things like having table topics you know pick a card and let's have a conversation because if you're not good at talking you know you might eh, how was your day oh, i was fine and that's the end of conversation but you know what was the most exciting thing of your day today you can know? i get the teenage version of that yeah <laughs> i've got a couple teenagers we could use that with yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so the final frontier, I think, you know, access to fresh food is one thing, but of course, um, cooking skills is really a challenge. 
Um, I have to say in Thomasville, community and schools have an after-school cooking program. That's and they great, are yeah. active in – and that's one thing about being in the Food Network. We try to keep our finger on the pulse of what actually is going on. And so community and schools Thomasville has an after-school program. This is a Title I school that generally serve, and they're doing – cooking they're teaching and they're young they're like grade four five mm-hmm. and they're learning how to basic cooking whether it's um scrambled eggs yeah. making a breakfast burrito second harvest working yeah and they're working with second harvest yeah. who help um which huge i mean yeah. the second harvest northwest <laughs> pretty much funnels i think we have like 23 food pantries in davidson county mm-hmm. i mean it's not just about feeding. It's about teaching people to feed themselves yeah. in a very, like knowing what to do with this food yeah, yeah. is a big problem. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, you know, we have the Coles teaching kitchen, the mobile kitchens that right. go around and do those knife skills, um, you know, just a basic kitchen setup, what you need. I think Or it's, cooking from uh, a microwave because people forget some of these people do not have stoves. Mm-hmm. Some of these people do not even have fridges. I mean, so there's very real challenges in terms of feeding healthy food in those families. Mm-hmm. Tell them about the, uh, just the Wick market. I mean, that popped up because of the other markets and the work we were doing. Oh, so um, this year we actually had a pop-up market at the health department. Oh, okay. Knowing that there are Wick recipients that could use their Wick dollars at a farmer's market. So transportation's a big deal. And they doubled, they doubled coupons, didn't they? Or? No, no, no. We're not lucky working to have that. that. We're working on that. <laughs> The matching funds for that. We'll talk about transportation again. Yeah, so you know, transportation is a problem. That's why people can't get to their um, fresh food or whatever. Or doctor's appointments. Doctors. So, but they know that they're going to get WIC dollars at the health department. They have to go, and they and so there were pop up markets on that. We chose that specific day, and this was a collaboration with the Cooperative Food Extension, the health department, and the farmers markets to bring the market, the food, to that particular consumer group. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the the recipient of all these things that you're doing. I mean, have you seen, I mean, you, sheer numbers and, and the diversity of people you see using the trails is one thing, but I'm thinking about, like, I'm, I could get in trouble real quick with this, but I've heard in Forsyth County, it's very easy to be poor. And there's very, there's so many groups meaning well. Right. We have a, yeah. You're centric. So basically when we had, a, we had an initial meeting at the food council and we had a lot of the food pantry representatives and what Davidson County is going through right now is third generation um, users of these food pantries. So, and it's not surprising because those children are taught this is where we go grocery shopping. So it's just become a vicious cycle. And if they don't go to one place, you know, the places that get federal funding can't require education component or anything that you would like to kind of put in there, but they can't do that. And so, yeah, so they're forced to, you know, and if you send somebody away, they'll go to another place as well. So there is... We do have that situation. And it's a topic of discussion. The Salvation Army brought that conversation up and it's not an easy, it's, it's not an easy challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it's hard to break the cycle. People want to give, I mean, it's, I think it's ironic. There's a lot of people that don't really believe in, in sort of, um, giving this through food stamps or things, but they're doing it through their local church as well, Mm -hmm. but they are doing it through their local church and I don't think they realize, but yeah. And you have to, there's a lot of hungry people people out there who don't have access to food. I think the issue also is, so the 
it's the, a lot of the, it's children and seniors though mm-hmm. um, who ben, who really rely on the system. But mm-hmm. there is not everyone, and this is I think um, you feel like it's the same people, but it's it's a little more complicated in terms of who uses the food pantry. Mm-hmm. Often these people are working. But there is a component of where where it's the same cycle. So yeah. it, it, well, that's where I'm kind of teasing out. And and you know, there's there's uh, to me the the ideal uh, way to break the cycle is eating better and and getting healthier. And then all of a sudden, your mental health improves and then you say well oh god you know i really want to improve my lot in life and i'm not just going to sit and uh, play with the hand i was dealt all the time and just sit back and let the services come to me or show up at the health department or the you know once a month to get my 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 load of produce or whatever but um you know that to me is has to be a huge part of breaking the cycle now it's up to the individual to be empowered to do that and what we've talked about here today i think is a lot of those components but i I just hope that somehow we can crack the code and find the secret sauce to to bring the recreation opportunities the food the healthy food and all that together that really empowers people to want to raise themselves up out of the cycles i want to give that example of the community garden okay so um one of the things when we were researching our assets and discovering Davidson County, you know, people were like, well, we don't have community gardens. Well, yeah, we do. And there, there were two kinds of community. Let's just use Thomasville because that's the, mm-hmm. where the example. They had two community gardens. One was targeted towards young children. It was through the Parks and Recreation. They got a grant. And then they developed an after-school program with the local schools. And it was very successful. Um the kids would come and grow and learn. But not only did the children come, they brought their grandparents. They brought their parents. And I find that the parents and grandparents will do things for their children that they would not normally do for themselves. Mm-hmm. So also, I think you need to – I think children are more low-hanging fruit. They're very receptive. They're curious. and But they also get the adults. Meanwhile, we had another community garden. Man, they had all the resources. They had drip line. They had it all set up. And it was run by adults. But in the end, it was only the one guy. And it did not have, and it's in, it's these two community gardens are pretty much in similar areas. Mm-hmm. But because they engaged young people, it had more success. And this was just a generic sort of, you want to feed and grow, but it was there was no incentive in the same way. Right. And I think that's... The intent was good. Yes, the intent was good, but I think the way the outreach was was not sustainable in the way that the other community garden... And that was a huge lesson. That was really insightful that maybe it is going through children. A, you're teaching the next generation, but you may reach two other generations through that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Uh, I mean, one thing we've done all along was... Very much I, coming from Davidson County, felt like I had a little bit of an education deficit. Blame myself a lot um, growing up, and then I thought maybe it could have been done better. And so in everything we do, we've also been involved with a local uh, STEM early college model career academy. And that's been a great opportunity for us to expose them and, and help them be part of projects both on the trail 
and with the food. And we've also been speakers there quite a bit. So being on that board has allowed us to really interact with that level. And that's high school. And I find typically like a lot of times these you know, job initiatives, they're willing to pour the money into the high school because mm-hmm. yeah, you can convert it as jobs. But I mean, I think really we're not going to find, you know, it's not going to change systemically until we create good elementary curriculum for why to buy local, why to eat local foods, why to give this farmer, you know, 50 more cents for broccoli, Mm -hmm. what that's going to do for your life and your community and understand that. And yeah, why you need to ride a bike, why you need to be healthy. Like just these things that, yeah, elementary school, I think we've, we've lost a lot of that, but there's some great project based opportunities out there for that to change. And that's, I think that's when the system is going to really change. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, the, the, we hear this, acronym STEM all the time, science, technology, engineering, and math. And locally here, when they've changed it and added the A for arts is STEAM. And I think the A should also stand for agriculture because I think... Mm-hmm. I, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, I mean, because we all have to eat. And that's what, you know, culturally, um, we can be different. Um, racially, we can be different. Um, socioeconomically, we can be different. But the thing that brings all humans together is food and i think that that's we forget about that and i think breaking bread with people who are different from you sitting around the table that's where community is built that's where it starts because no one can build trails if on a if they're hungry you know no one no one can plant food <laughs> right. if they're hungry and so i think they're well, gonna start a revolution if yeah they're hungry. i mean and, they and, and the revolution starts in the backyard you know right, i mean right. you know you, you go dig the soil plant a seed and that's just that's not just uh, literal. That's a metaphor for looking, learn about your own backyard and your community, plant the seeds with a long term viewpoint, um, find out how much energy you can commit and volunteer to provide, and connect the resources that you can you have already in your backyard. Right. I think that's a big thing. When we were on the chamber, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the Chamber of Commerce. Um, just the way. Uh, we just found that they failed to recognize, I think from the history of the large industries in mm-hmm. town, they failed to recognize. And yeah, I spent six years just talking about this till I was blue in the face. The fact that farmers are business people, artists are business people, and small businesses are business people. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily the small business you think they are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the, and these are the businesses that really make and these situations like the food, the bikes, it's what really makes a community rich. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and those things can also be a business. And once you have those as businesses and all these things interacting, then you have a really wonderful, sustainable local community. Well, I think that's right. I mean, I think it's like any monoculture uh, is is with not without risk because once something gets in there that disrupts it, then everything goes to hell. And, and you know, from the manufacturing point, I mean – Thomasville and Lexington is a huge furniture manufacturing. When that dried up, the monoculture of manufacturing then suffered. Right. You, know, you didn't have the diversity. So when you bring in the artists, you bring in the craftsmen, you bring in the artisanal breweries and coffee shops and bakeries and restaurants and, and food markets and, and and people growing lemongrass and, <laughs> and, and Asian persimmons, and then you, you create that vibrant diversity that can sustain. I think it's kind of ironic in these small towns 
you're missing back in the day. You had <coughs> the baker and you had, you know, the shoemaker and, and they lost all that. Mm-hmm. And by losing it, you've lost your local economy. And so it's weird that we're trying to get that back again. Yeah. Cause really when you invest that way, that money stays in your community, but mm-hmm. the, I mean, they're still looking for those big, I mean, they're looking for the Amazon. They're looking, they're still looking for that. And it would be nice for once if they would just look at the existing talent pool they have mm-hmm. and cultivate those as, as much as they are trying to reach out to get those big box. Um, yeah. Cause you, you need, you need the big box and you need the little smaller boxes to make for a richer community. But yeah. I, I always find that ironic that we're trying to go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's comes with a huge cost, I think. Oh, yeah. Like a lottery ticket. I mean, they're trying to, it's like, oh, I'm going to play the lottery, you know, again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, and I think we should redefine what we think is a big business. I mean, 50 employees should be considered a huge business mm-hmm. in a small community and, and, and instead, we look at, you know, we want, oh, let's get the data, you know, let's get the distribution center. That, that Well, and jobs can't be the common denominator of everything. I mean, if you have a job, but you've got cancer, if you have a job or you have poor health, you have a job, but you're obese. Or you know, you're working the all the time, you never see your kids, and right, they, get, right. they get obese. Because, what is the value of that job? Right. You know? So what kind of jobs do you bring in the community? What What is this organization that's coming to our town going to do for us as well? Mm-hmm. Or how are they going to fit into our community, yeah. I think? Well, let's talk about how people get involved in y'all's efforts and the community groups that support you and and with their both their volunteerism and you know their 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 own energy and their dollars. Um, the bikers, we drink beer at High Rock Outfitters on Thursday <laughs> nights. Uh, now we do have we have a community ride every Thursday, usually Tuesday nights as well at about five fifteen to five thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, if you come out there, there's there's friendly people out at Finch Park in Lexington, and uh, you know a lot of if you don't. Contact us on our Facebook, which is uh, contact us through our Facebook or a personal message there, the Roadies and Dirty Cycling Club. Um, that's how you can get on a, on that ride. And then we do go to High Rock Outfitters. They give us a dollar off um, a promotion every beer. <laughs> or not, they give a dollar back to our organization for mm-hmm. every beer. And, and we have found quite a bit of good community there. Um, <laughs> we are going to do uh, – we have a Laps for Loot event. Uh, Loops for – wait. Laps for Loot. Laps for Loot is coming up on November 2nd, and that's going to be a fundraiser uh, for the Roadies and Dirties and all the trail projects we're doing. We're trying to – we have so much land, and we have a small core of diggers that now the problem is we're going to have to dig all this. Mm-hmm. And and so what we're trying to do is buy um, a couple of heavy machinery equipment, mm-hmm. um, like an excavator and a bobcat. But anyway, um, Laps for Loot is going to be no, November 2nd at Finch Park. And you know the time From on that? 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, you don't have to bring money. You just bring your bike. And so for every lap, we get money. Somebody oh. has sponsored all the riders. So for every lap you do, we earn uh, funding for our trail. The trail. bike riders, uh, the you know, the local bike store, Lexington Bikes, is going to be out there Um Chick-fil-A is going to be there, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're, we're going to have Bratwurst. Afterwards, they're going to have a celebration at the High Rock Outfitters in the after, in the evening. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have Brats, hot dogs, that sort of thing, um, different food and beverages. Okay. For um, – oh, and also look out for trail sweeps. That's one way of helping, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's picking up trash or raking leaves. It's very simple for the roadies and dirties in that way. For the local food council, I mean, if you're, if you're looking to be really become a community leader, there is a workshop coming up. I, I, those were very helpful to us in understanding sort of 
understanding elected officials, how government works and things like that. So there's one that's led by the Carolina Farm Stewardship Association, and that is, I believe, October 31st and Friday, November 1st, and you can sign up for that. Um, and those, it's called Taking on Sustainable Ag Advocacy Roles in Your Community, and that's essentially what the Food Council does. Mm-hmm. There is also a statewide food gathering that people can attend, and this year it's at Rocky Mount, and that's December 5th and 6th. You can look at communityfoodstrategies.com or .org, I'm sorry, and they will have more information. Our um, website is Davidson County Food. <laughs> Davidson County Food. If you look that up, you'll find our website and you can contact us that way or our Facebook as There's well. There's a donate button on there. Oh, gosh, I don't even know. The Roadies and Dirties. There is one on the Roadies and Dirties page. It's, uh, there's a donate. And you can, uh, even if you aren't going to race or ride on the weekend that's coming up, you can donate any time there. Or and be become a member. a member. Become a member, which is is optimal. Now, um, but that website is uh, roadiesanddirties.org. Okay. And then finally, um, how about a, a shameless self-promotion for GeoCore Creative? I mean, you guys got to put food on your own table, right? You go for it. Yeah. Um, so essentially. It's interesting because we do uh, video and photography, and our niches tend to be farming and food, surprise, <laughs> outdoor recreation. Um, education. Education, nonprofits. But we have an interesting um, edge in advanced manufacturing. But basically, promotional videos, social videos, educational videos is our forte. And how instructional video. Yeah. Oh, instructional. Well, it, what we do, though, is story branding through storytelling mm-hmm. is the fundamental core skill that we have. Yeah, and how they, find, how they find you oh, in that business. Oh, GeoCore Creative. I'm terrible. Yeah. This, at our own stuff, GeoCoreCreative.com is where you can find GeoCore us. GeoCoreCreative.com. Well, Carrie and Grace Kanoi, I appreciate your time today. And uh, let's go have some lunch. And talk right on. Thanks talk for having stuff. us, bro. <laughs>